You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. forgiven from the basis of forgiveness. We're not forgiven by feelings. We're forgiven by an act of love on a cross. That act of love forgave us of our sin because Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself. He says, for your name's sake, the name of Jesus, the power in Jesus's name, power to forgive, power to heal, power to give eternal life. There is no other name like it. The name by which all must come to salvation according to Acts 4.12. Sometimes it's pretty easy to feel like a worthless Christian. Maybe you'll act a sinful way or even just have evil thoughts. Oftentimes, we'll let something like that make us feel unworthy. Today, Pastor Dave reminds us that it isn't by good works or feelings that we're saved, but by the graceful act of one person. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Signs of Spiritual Development. So we've been making our way through this really interesting epistle by the Apostle John. And one of the main reasons that John is writing this letter was to give the believer the assurance that he or she was indeed saved. He wants us to know that we are saved, that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. He wants every believer to know that he knows, to settle it once and for all. To make it final in their heart. And then once you've settled, then you can begin to mature. You can start living the life that is real. Remember, that's been kind of like the theme. Living the life that is real. A life that you can have. Because a real life knows that nothing can improve on John 3.16. How do you improve on eternal life? You can't. You can't improve upon eternal life. And and that's what the real life knows and is satisfied in. John wants his readers, he wants us now to grow up and mature. So I look at this section of John as a book of proofs, if you will. John has used a series of statements that are designed to help the believer examine themselves. John made statements declaring that it wasn't necessarily what I say near as much as who I am. And he also says that we need to be careful not to deceive ourselves because we can deceive ourselves. And he made statement after statement in chapter one and continuing now in chapter two about how we possibly can deceive ourselves in thinking that we're better off than we really are. For example, he says, if I say I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself and the truth isn't in me. If I say I have fellowship with God and I'm walking in darkness, I'm lying and not telling the truth. If I say I know him and don't keep his commandments to love one another, I'm a liar and the truth isn't in me. If I say I'm abiding in him, then I need to walk as he walked. 
And if I say I'm in the light, but yet I hate my brother, I'm really in darkness. So John has been throwing these things out. And I said, he's using the mirror tactic. He's taking this gigantic mirror and holding it up. And he's saying, look into the mirror, folks. Look in the mirror individually and see yourself as you really are. Where are you erroring? Where are you making these mistakes? What are you thinking and what are you demonstrating? Look at yourself and examine yourself. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, stop deceiving yourselves. And that's what John is doing through this entire time. See, we need to enter in a relationship with God. And then when we do that, he desires for us to grow and mature. Our desire is to know him more, but yet the process becomes so arduous. It becomes so difficult sometimes and even elusive. Elusive is like we can't get it. Many young believers get stalled in the process and they never reach spiritual maturity for some reason. And sadly, they never really become what God desired them to be. But in our verses this morning, John takes a look at these various stages of our spiritual walk with the Lord. He looks at the little child, the new believer. He looks at the adolescent believer or the young man. And then he looks at the mature believer or the father. And as I look at these stages and I look at my life and being your pastor, I look at your lives. I see that we're all in different stages of our lives. And I want you to know before we continue, wherever you are is where you're supposed to be right now. Don't worry about where that person is, where this person is. Worry where you are. Look at yourself. Don't worry about that. Let God bring you to where he wants you. And as I came to these verses and I studied them, they seem to come out of nowhere. They just seem to appear on the page like, how the, what is he talking about? <laughs> so I went to some of my commentators, and one commentator I actually listened to said this, quote, it's as if John took a time out and went and had a cup of coffee, and coming back he forgot where he was, and he lost his train of thought. I don't think that's the case at all. I really don't. It does look like it's out of context, but... If you've been with us as we've studied 1 John now for the last several weeks, John has been hitting us with some pretty heavy-duty stuff. I mean, he's been throwing some things out there. Self-examination is hard, folks. Self-examination is hard, and in fact, it can be brutal at times. And John is saying, man, as you look in this mirror, you're going to see some things that you don't particularly care for. When you look at this mirror, you're going to see some cracks. And let me tell you, pal, it's not the mirror. So you need to take care of some things. So self-examination can be extremely brutal. And John doesn't want any one of his readers to think that he's accusing them of not being a Christian. It's not John's purpose here. Instead, he's warning them. Be careful. Don't be deceiving yourself hoping that they would self-examine. So this is actually an encouragement, folks. He's encouraging his readers. He's encouraging us. And he's telling us that there are several stages of spiritual development. And that no matter where we are, in whichever stage we find ourselves in today, we need to continue to grow. 
and never stop growing. Even if you're in the most mature state, you can still grow and continue to grow. And that's what I think John is telling us this morning. At least that's what I'm gathering from these scriptures as we studied them. Why does he tell us this? Because that's what all of scripture tells us to do. And I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'm going to give them to you. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Ephesians 4, 15. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. 2 Peter 3, 18. All tell us to grow. All tell us to move forward. All tell us to continue to grow and not stop growing ever. Continue to get all that the Lord wants us to have in our lives. And I've told you this before, and I don't mind telling you again. When it comes to the things of the Lord that he wants to give me, I'm greedy. I want it all. Lord, whatever you want from me, I want. And I want to accept. I don't want to push anything away, including any gift of the Spirit that he might want to follow on me. I want it. If it's scriptural, I want it. We're to continue to grow. We're to be like the tree in Psalm 1, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season and whatsoever we do will prosper. I want to be like that. God created you to grow. He created to grow. And we all have various stages. Even in our physical life, there are various stages to our lives. And I always like John Corson. He comes up with some pretty good ones. So I got to share this one with you. John Corson says this, quote, I see four stages of life, childhood, youth, young adult, and hey, you really look good for your age. (laughs) And John specifically addresses each believer in the three stages of spiritual development. I think it's important. And each stage is focused on a specific characteristic or level of understanding and practice. The implication is this passage is that God expects all believers to continue to grow in their faith. So he begins in verse 12 by addressing all of us. He addresses all of us in verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sakes. Why do I say it's all of us? Because the word here in Greek is technion. And it carries the connotation of little darlings. John used the exact same word back in chapter 2, verse 1, when he said, my little children. John is over 80, going on to 90, maybe even 90 years old at this time. He has a right to call us little darlings. And he looks upon his readers as his kids, as his little children. It is an endearing term, much like brethren or beloved. But this is even more endearing. But it actually comes from a Greek word that means to come into existence. In English, we would use the word offspring. Offspring. He uses this term in this way. Why? Because all believers are offsprings of God. We all belong to the same family. Remember we studied one John 1 in verse 12? But as many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them He gave the right to become children of God. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've accepted his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sin, if you believe that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Welcome to the family of God. And we're all connected by one. We are all born again. And what is the one thing or the first thing that a new believer realizes? One thing that a new believer realizes is found in verse 12b. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. This is the first thing as a new believer we realize. My sins are forgiven. Wow, the forgiveness of sin. And this makes me a child of God. Without the forgiveness of sin, I'm not a child of God. In fact, Jesus calls me a child of the devil. I'm not a child of a God without the forgiveness of sins. And this is what makes me a child of God. And through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we're forgiven. We're forgiven for his namesake. We're forgiven from the basis of forgiveness. We're not forgiven by feelings. We're forgiven by an act of love on a cross. That act of love forgave us of our sin because Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself. He says, for your namesake, the name of Jesus, the power in Jesus' name, power to forgive, power to heal, power to give eternal life. There is no other name like it, the name by which all must come to salvation, according to Acts 4.12. The name by which all must be saved, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What power in that name? So we're all saved. Forgiveness brings liberating grace. It brings cleansing from guilt. The believer knows he's no longer guilty of that sin because it's been taken away. He's no longer to be judged for that sin. He's not going to be condemned for that sin. He's not going to be punished for that sin that he deserves, death, because he is trusted in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the propitiation for that sin. Can you remember how it felt when you first got saved? Oh, my. What a glorious feeling that was. What a wonderful time it was. It was a beautiful, beautiful time, feeling of freedom, feeling like the anvil had been lifted off your head. I was under so much pressure. It was, I was being pressed on all sides until I cried out to the Lord and asked for forgiveness and accepting Jesus Christ, and all that went away. What a beautiful feeling that was. And I love what Gusick says, quote, this is something to rejoice in. If we do not rejoice in this, something's wrong. We probably fail to see the badness of our sin and the greatness of his forgiveness. When we see how great our sin is and how great the cost was to gain us forgiveness, we are obsessed with gratitude at having been forgiven. Man, sometimes you just want to sit there and all you want to do is say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. With your lips, you can say, thank you, Lord. Say that with me. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you. And have a heart full of gratitude, a heart that just pours out thank you when you realize exactly what had happened on that cross. I'm writing to you, my darlings. I'm writing to you, my little children. I'm writing to you. I like that. Little children. He moves on then. He goes from children and he jumps to the fathers, the mature ones. Look at 13a. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you fathers. A father's relationship with Jesus is deep. It is founded in the knowledge of him. 
Fathers have an intimate, personal knowledge of God. These men and women of deep, long spiritual standing, they have a kind of walk with God that doesn't happen overnight. It's a kind of walk where they've experienced, they've been bumped, they've been bruised, they've been cut, they've been weakened, they've been knocked down, they get back up, they've been through it, all experiences, and they've been seasoned, and they're tough, and they're, they're there. They're like the great oak trees of the Lord. They've grown big and strong in their years. Why? Because they've known Him. And that's what makes the difference in their life. They've known Him. This comes from spiritual roots. Just like that tree that's planted by the river of water, the roots go deep. And you know when we have these storms come through and the trees fall over because our roots aren't deep enough? When we come that tree in the Lord, when we come our roots go deep, deep, deep into Him. And we're hanging on and clinging on and we can't be moved. That's what we're talking about here. And it's so much more than intellectual knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge, knowledge of experience. I've experienced this and I've gotten through. No, I haven't gotten through. The Lord has pulled me through. It's not spiritual knowledge. It's in-depth experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is no substitute for years and years of experiencing Jesus in your life. There is no substitute for that. What are the characteristics of a spiritual father? Well, for one thing, they instruct others. They, they help others through. They love constantly. They provide various things. They protect. They set examples. And they produce offspring. They produce little children. They produce darlings. We're John's little children. So little children, fathers. In 13b, John brings out the young guns. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. Who are the young men? I call these the in-betweeners. The young men are the in-betweeners. They're not children anymore, and they haven't really become the fathers yet. But they're on their way to maturity. These are the frontline people of God's work. These are the ones that are out there, the young ones, and they're invincible. And there's advantages to the youth. And you got to quote George Bernard Shaw, who said, youth is such a wonderful thing. It's a shame it's wasted on the young. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know George Bernard Shaw said that until I found this quote. But these men, these young men, and it has less to do with age than it does activity, than it does act product activity. These are on the road to maturity. These Christians don't simply enjoy fellowship with God. They simply don't enjoy the forgiveness of God, however they do, but they're willing to fight. They're willing to be on the front line of ministry and go toe-to-toe with the enemy. They're willing to stand toe-to-toe and fight the enemy where he is. They're willing to enter the fight. They're going to fight by any means they have. They engage in battle with the wicked one. And it's like in wartime. When we go to war, what nation in war sends out the kids? None that I know of. What nation in war sends out the old guys? None. It's the young, virile ones that we send to war. They're the ones that fight. Well, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the greatest effort, the greatest cost, the greatest strength is expected from our young people. One commentator said this. This is interesting. Quote, for this reason, many have sought to stay in spiritual childhood as long as possible. This is wrong. You'd be considered a draft dodger or a vagrant. 
We expect children not to fight in wars and to be supported by others, but we don't expect it of adults. We expect them to fight. Young men, you have overcome the wicked one. And these young men have overcome the spiritual forces that would seek to destroy their spiritual life. They've become strong, and the roots are getting deep also. They've become strong. They know that the battle is against Satan and his emissaries. They know that the battle is against spiritual principles and powers. But they know their partner is God. They know they're connected to the Lord. These young men, they become the big brothers to the children. They become the big brothers to help the children along. How many of you had big brothers? I had two big brothers. I had one that was eight years older, and I had one that was six years older. But they didn't run me through the mill. You kidding? Wow. But I loved it. I loved the fact. I loved my big brothers. It was great. They taught me a lot of things, good, bad, and indifferent. But they taught me things. This is what young men do. Young men who are spiritual teach the little ones spiritual things. They show them by example what to do. And I thank God for the young men. I thank God for the young men because they're the next leaders of the church. They're the ones who are going to come up and take care of the church. So. As we get to verse 13, where am I? I lost my page. Here we are. As we get to verse 13, um, C, he starts going backwards again, encouraging the little children again. He begins to repeat his encouragement with the little children, and he's going to take all three stages again and look at it. Look at 13, C. I write, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Now, We have a difference in words here. We have a difference in words, and it's important. Whereas the first time we read the word little children, it was talking about darlings or loved ones. Now we're talking about babies. Now this one we're talking about in Greek, we're talking about babies or infants. These are the brand new believers. These are those who have just accepted the Lord, who are just coming into the kingdom. These are the brand newbies. What does he say about infants? You have known the Father. All their awareness is is of their Heavenly Father and they're part of a family. What are the characteristics of little children? Yeah, they poop and smell bad. No, not truly. Little children are needy. Little kids, infants are needy. They're carefree. Someone's going to take care of me. Sometimes they're selfish. Sometimes they're ignorant. That means without knowledge, folks. Sometimes they're demanding. Little children are demanding sometimes. Sometimes they're simple-minded. I call little children EGN. Extra grace needed. They're extra grace needed. These are the ones that have just begun their journey. They've just begun their journey, but they're growing. You know, a thought came to me as I was looking at this. You know, we always look at the proverb, train up a child the way he should go and he won't leave it, you know, won't come back to it. And we always apply it to our little ones. Well, this can apply to new believers as well. This can apply to new believers. Train them up the way they should go. Train them up in the Lord. Train them up and admonish them to follow God. Admonish them in the ways of the Lord and they won't depart. You are You've been listening to a teaching from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Does your heart tend to ride the turbulent waves of the circumstances you find yourself in? 
or you more of that calm, steady sea that's fairly even and consistent? Well, in this book, John wrote to his readers to grow in their zeal and love for God while refuting those who were teaching false things. There is a steadiness that's encouraged, despite the waves of emotion and turmoil that you may face. Having that steadfast focus on God and His promise of eternal life is what can help your heart be at peace and be calm. If you missed any part of today's teaching or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about what you heard. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. In addition to that, you're welcome to email us at info at capewatchradio.com with any questions, concerns, or prayer requests. Would you rather talk to us in person? Then think about joining us this Sunday for a time of God's Word at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. All you need to know is our website, assurehoperadio.com. Thank you again for taking time to learn from the book of 1 John today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.